Our scripture lesson is taken from two New, two New Testament passages. The first one is 1 Corinthians 6, at verse 9, page 1,314. 1,314. First Corinthians 6 at verse 9 and reading through the end of the chapter. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Food for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord, and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that the one who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And then from Ephesians 5, page 1,346 in the Pew Bible, 1,346. Ephesians 5, verse 22, and again reading to the end of the chapter. Ephesians 5:22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to it. In conjunction with it, I invite you to look at Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 41, in the back of the Psalter Hymnal, page 892. 
in the middle of the first column, Lord's Day 41, concerning the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Lord's Day 41, what is God's will for us in the seventh commandment? That God condemns all unchastity and that we should therefore detest it wholeheartedly and live decent and chaste lives within or outside of the holy state of marriage. Does God in this commandment forbid only such scandalous sins as adultery? We are temples of the Holy Spirit, body and soul, and God wants both to be kept clean and holy. That is why God forbids all unchaste actions, looks, talk, thoughts or desires, and whatever may incite someone to them. Beloved of the Lord, the seventh commandment is what some have called the marriage commandment. It's all about honoring the institution of marriage by fleeing sexual immorality or honoring God with your body. Paul tells us that the marriage relationship is a mystery. In that passage from 1 Corinthians 6, he says, this is a great mystery. And the word this refers back to what was just in the previous sentence, Namely, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, he says. Now, that's uh, an interesting word, that word mystery. It's used 21 times in the New Testament, almost exclusively by the Apostle Paul, although it's found four times also in the book of Revelation. And in every instance, the word mystery refers to something which you and I would never discover on our own. We would never know it unless it was revealed to us by God. You know, it's something like a a good mystery novel. I'm sure that uh, many of you have read mystery novels, and the good ones usually have a surprise ending where the author surprises the reader with uh, who the guilty party really is. there's a lot of misdirection and uh, uh, in the story to kind of lead you to make the wrong conclusion. And then at the end, the mystery is revealed. And the mystery has to be revealed by the author because it's not something that you would uh, figure out simply by observation and uh, deduction. Well, the gospel is called a mystery. You know, that's because you and I never would have imagined that a holy God would suffer in the place of undeserving sinners so that undeserving sinners could be brought back into fellowship with God. You know, uh, in all the pagan religions of the world, like the, uh, the Greek myths, the gods are the superiors and the, uh, the humans are the peons and uh, they're used as slaves of the gods. They may... Uh, uh, pleasure themselves in their slaves from time to time, but nevertheless, they never uh, really treat them as uh, co-equals in a in a marriage relationship. That that idea is is completely foreign to to uh, non-Christian religions. The gods uh, reward good people and they punish bad people. That's that's intuitive. That's what we would normally conclude, but. Lo and behold, wonder of wonders, 
our God is a God of grace. And grace isn't just uh, a little kindness. It's, it's forgiveness for the unforgivable. It's, it's mercy for those who deserve the opposite. Uh, it's a glorious mystery that God reveals on the pages of Scripture. But now he, he says that, that marriage is a mystery. There's something about marriage that we would never know unless God reveals it to us. And Paul tells us right away what the, what the, the mystery is. That is that marriage is about Christ and the church. Uh, marriage is a illustration of the relationship between God and his people. God loves his people and his people were created in his image to, to know him, to love him, to serve him, but above all to be with him. God wants to be with us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. I will be your God, you will be my people. This is called the Emmanuel principle in the Old Testament. God comes to us to be with us and dwell among us, to be our God and calls us to be uh, with him. The great uh, wonder of the, at the end of the Bible is, is not that we're taken up to heaven, but heaven comes down and God makes his home on the earth. It's unbelievable. God wants to to live with us and to live with us in a loving relationship. And he illustrates the kind of relationship he wants with us with marriage. Now, in the Bible, the relationship between God and his people is often depicted as a marriage relationship. In the Old Testament, it's uh, God is often calls uh, Israel his bride. He calls Israel his son from time to time, but he also calls Israel his bride. Israel is an unfaithful bride, but God never gives up on her. He continues to pursue her because he has sworn an oath. You know, marriage is entered into by humans with a promise, a vow, uh, an oath, uh, a promise to uh, uh, love, honor, and cherish, and love, honor, obey, till death do us part. And you make a, a commitment. Well, God made that commitment. He, he took that vow. I will be your God, and you will be my people. And Abraham said, how will I know that? How will I know you, you will bless me? And so God passed through the, the, the pieces, a, a covenant-cutting uh, ceremony where animals are cut in half, and uh, the idea is that uh, may I be destroyed like these animals if I don't keep my oath. And the wonder of wonders, God, God did have to die in order to keep his oath. He died in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, who came and died in our place. Uh, the amazing thing in that Genesis passage is that Abraham didn't have to pass through the pieces. God did, because God knew that he would be the one who would die in order to keep his oath, in order to fulfill his marriage vow to his people. Marriage is a uh, an oath-bound, covenantal relationship. Another way of saying that is to say that it is a a, a committed relationship. God commits himself to us. He makes a commitment. He swears an oath to fulfill that commitment, and nothing will stop him from fulfilling that. Another way of saying that uh, negatively is that uh, our relationship with God is not a conditional relationship. God does not promise to love only those who measure up to a certain uh, conditions. 
That's, again, uh, what we might expect. Rewards and punishment based on performance or lack of performance. Uh, But that's not the case. We don't have to audition with God and hope that we meet his approval. He doesn't take us for a trial period and then decide if he wants to keep us. It's true that God does set conditions. They're called his law. Uh, And it is true that we have violated that law. But God is a God who finds a way to deal with that so that our guilt can be removed and we can continue to be uh, loved by him and enter into that loving relationships. Well, what this means for human marriage is that marriage is about commitment. In marriage, a man and a woman make a promise to each other to love, honor, and cherish, to love, honor, and obey, till death do them part. In marriage, each person gives himself to the other so that loving the other is like loving yourself. You know, our natural commitment is to take care of number one, take care of me. That's called selfishness, you know. But when you get married, you transfer that to your wife. The man transfers that to his wife, and he treats his wife as if his wife were himself, because the two have become one, and the wife does the same. She treats her husband as if uh, the husband has become herself. Uh, you commit yourself to the other and uh, consider the other better than yourself and uh, take care of that one the way uh, we would normally just take care of ourselves. Uh, it's a, an unconditional commitment to each other. What that means uh, uh, for us is that uh, uh, the uh, marriage is a uh, a, 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 not a commercial relationship. Tim Keller uh, in uh, his book on marriage and in some of his sermons talks about the difference between a, a commercial relationship and a committed relationship. In a commercial relationship, uh, there is an exchange of goods and services. You know, you have a commercial relationship with your grocer. Uh, you go to that grocery store because you like the prices, you like the quality of the produce, you like uh, the selection, you like the atmosphere, whatever it is. There's something about that store that you like, and so you go there. But you don't commit yourself to life uh, shopping at that store. Uh, if you get a sale flyer from another store and you see that an item that you use often is on sale for a lot cheaper in that other store and the store is not too far away, uh, well, then you're open for a change. You, you upgrade and you, you go to that other store, it, maybe not permanently, because you go back and forth looking for the best deals. Uh, a commercial relationship is not a committed relationship. You're free to upgrade any time you want. Well, sadly, many couples, including married couples, act the same way. If their needs are being met, they stick with the relationship. But if they think their needs can be met better by someone else, then they upgrade and move on uh, to a new partner. Marriage as commitment is uh, is contrary to, to what many are also doing uh, before marriage. A lot of people, including some church people, uh, are uh, trying cohabitation as a, a trial relationship. Uh, before marriage, they say, well, let's live together for a while and see if it works. And by see if it works, they mean see if it meets my needs. Well, 
That doesn't prepare you for marriage. Uh, marriage is a committed relationship, not a, a relationship about me getting my needs met. Uh, a, uh, one person may come to the marriage seeking a sense of security and, and belonging. The other one may want a helper and a support. They both want their sexual needs uh, satisfied, you know, and they uh, say, well, let's see if this works for us. Let's see if my needs can be met. Well, they're, they're thinking only of themselves. Now, that means that the, the fundamental basis of the relationship is a selfish one where the self that you're caring for is not your partner. The self that you're caring for is your own body, your own life. How does that prepare you for a committed relationship where your main concern is taking care of your partner? It doesn't prepare you at all. It establishes bad patterns, bad habits, and uh, uh, leads to all kinds of trouble. Uh, especially if there's any kind of uh, uh, Christian uh, understanding of marriage. If the couple eventually does get married, uh, each one is going to think, you know, uh, we lived together before we got married. That means uh, we, we willfully broke God's commandment before we were married. What assurance do I have that my partner won't break God's commandment uh, after we're married, you know? There's that uncertainty principle, that shaky foundation. Now, by the grace of God, that can be overcome, and uh, such couples can have a a rich and fulfilling marriage. But it's not going to be easy. They're making all kinds of problems for themselves by establishing bad habits, bad patterns, and sowing the seeds of doubt when they come together for a a trial marriage in a a selfish relationship. Committed relationship is a, a lifelong relationship of giving yourself to someone else. Now, that's a tall order. And you might think, you know, is that possible? Can, can I actually do that? And uh, the answer is no, you can't. You can't do it. But there is hope because Christ has done it. Uh, Christ is the one who has given himself fully to us, who has humbled himself, sacrificed himself, taken the form of a servant for us all the way to death on the cross to save us. He knows all about committed relationships. He knows all about covenantal relationships, and he has done it perfectly. And Christians have his spirit living in them. And because Christ's Spirit is in you, you can strive for uh, that goal. Even though we will never reach that goal in this life, nevertheless, we are given uh, the goal and we're given the strength to pursue that goal. And so we should understand marriage as an illustration of the relationship between God and his church, between Christ and his church, and uh, God calling us to emulate that in our human relationships of marriage as well. Now, what is the requirement of this commandment? Well, the requirement is that whether you are single or whether you are married, you are to honor the institution of marriage. Uh, The commandment forbids adultery or anything that might uh, tempt toward adultery, and uh, therefore it is requiring the opposite. It is requiring that we honor the institution of marriage that we uphold marriage and not violate the marriage bond. Any action or attitude that shows 
contempt for or a low opinion of God-designed purpose of marriage and the marriage vows is a violation of this commandment. Therefore, to uh, keep from committing adultery, you must hold, uphold and honor the institution of marriage as, a, as God designed with uh, all your actions and attitudes. Uh, Hebrews 13 verse 4 says, marriage should be honored by all. Marriage involves uh, waiting until you are married to fulfill your sexuality. God designed marriage as is the place where you are able to express your sexuality. Those who burn with love for each other are told in 1 Corinthians 7, get married. Uh, don't, uh, you're, we all are tempted sexually and uh, therefore the best solution if you're struggling with sexual temptation is to get married. Being single is a, an honorable and high calling from God, a higher calling than marriage as Paul explains. But it is the exception, not the rule. Those uh, who desire the physical joys of marriage must either deny self or get married. Now, uh, just a word to those who are single. Sometimes there's a lot of uh, frustration among those who are not married, of those who uh, have never been married and want to be married. And uh, they say, you know, I'm, I'm missing out on something really great and my, my life can never be complete if I, if I don't find a husband, if I don't find a wife. But remember the mystery. Marriage isn't the ultimate thing, is it? The relationship between Christ and his people is the ultimate thing. And every Christian can experience that, you know, in our call to worship uh, from Psalm 63. It says, uh, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. What, he's, what is he saying there? He's, he's saying, your loving kindness is better than anything else in this life. There's nothing in this life that is as good as knowing your loving kindness. And uh, again, my soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. Our relationship with God is satisfying. That's the ultimate relationship. Marriage just points to it. Uh, marriage is, is a, a rough copy that never really gets as good as the real thing. If you're a Christian, whether you're married or single, you have the real thing. And uh, I can find great uh, uh, joy and satisfaction in your relationship with God. Now, the, uh, the requirement of the commandment is that you, you wait uh, until you are married to express your se- uh, sexuality. To you who are married, be true to your marriage vows. That means be uh, faithful to each other till death do you part. Faithful in thought and word and deed. Husbands, love and honor your wife. Cherish her. Wives, love, honor and obey your husbands. It's abusing these that causes married people to be vulnerable to temptation. Uh, But above all, be committed to the other. Be committed to your partner. Uh, Treat your partner as you would treat yourself. Uh, Be selfish, but be selfish for your partner, not for yourself. You know, the, 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 the one thing that destroys any marriage is not sex problems, not money problems, but it all starts before that. 
it starts with selfishness. It's about people saying, you know, uh, I'm not happy. I want to be happy. I want my needs to be met. I think my needs can be met elsewhere. Uh, uh, this woman uh, is constantly complaining that I don't earn enough money. Or uh, this man is uh, never home and he's always uh, working. And this isn't what I signed up for. Well, that's, that's what destroys a marriage when you start thinking about yourself and, and uh, what you want. Uh, that uh, will, uh, above all, destroy marriage. So uh, it's a committed relationship where you commit to the other person till death do you part. Single or married, detest everything that attacks the institution of marriage. One thing that attacks the institution of marriage is divorce. God says in Malachi 2.16, I hate divorce. Yes, God does permit divorce under certain situations, but he still hates it. TV depicts sex outside of marriage as normal, healthy, without any problems or pain. Pornography, dirty jokes, what Paul calls coarse jesting. Of these, there should not even be a hint. No double entendre, no double meaning with one uh, meaning being risque. That's that's not part of what ought to be, that ought not to be a part of our vocabulary. This is what it means to keep this commandment, to honor the institution of marriage, whether single or married. Uphold it as uh, from God and a gift uh, for uh, his glory. Now, I want to uh, conclude by telling you that the Bible has some really strong warnings against breaking this commandment. For example, in Proverbs 5, verse 11, it warns us that, uh, that breaking this commandment could destroy your body. Uh, Proverbs 5:11 says, At the end of your life you will groan when your flesh and your body are spent. Uh, speaking of uh, the adulterer. And again, uh, speaking of the adulteress, Proverbs 7, verse 27, Her house is a highway to the grave leading down to the chambers of death. The Bible also warns that uh, breaking this commandment can uh, destroy you financially. Uh, Proverbs 6, verse 26, For a prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread. Uh, The prodigal son didn't even have a loaf of bread when he was done. He spent his inheritance on prostitutes, and when he was done, he had nothing left, not even to feed himself. Uh, committing adultery destroys a person's reputation. Proverbs 6, verse 32, blows and disgrace are his lot, and his shame will never be wiped away. Adultery takes away clear thinking. Proverbs 6, 32 again, a man who commits adultery lacks judgment. Whoever does so destroys himself. And Hosea 4, verse 11, harlotry, wine, and new wine enslave the heart. And adultery without repentance or violating the seventh commandment without repentance damns the soul. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the adulterer, nor the male prostitute, nor homosexual offenders will inherit the kingdom of God, we read from 1 Corinthians 7. And it does this not only to self, 
but it, uh, it, it leads another also. It endangers the soul of the other. It deprives uh, uh, that other, your partner, of, of her salvation or his salvation as far as it is within your power to do so. What a fearful thing to be the instrument that draws another person to hell. But positively, we read in First Corinthians 6.19, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Be warned. The adulterer is hated by God. Proverbs 22, verse 14, The mouth of an adulteress is a deep pit. He who is under the Lord's wrath will fall into it. Romans 1.18, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their heart to sexual immorality for the degrading of their bodies with one another. God gave them over to shameful lusts. If you're hearing this, it's not too late. The Apostle writes in 1 Corinthians 7, That's what some of you were, but you were washed. You were justified. You were made clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. Glorious grace. Grace that saves sinners. There's no sin so great that God can't save you. It's a terrible sin. But God's grace is greater. Therefore, repent of your sin, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and rejoice in his loving kindness, which is better than life. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for this, your word, and pray that it might be impressed upon our hearts. We pray that we would recognize that we are not our own, but we have been bought with a price, that uh, our bodies belong to you and that you dwell in them. Therefore, enable us to honor you with our bodies. And where we have fallen short of the mark, we pray that you would forgive us our sins, cleanse us, renew us day by day, for indeed your mercies are new every morning. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.